Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you travel the country or even the world and you ask people what they know about Kansas City, the first thing they say is barbecue. That's right, Kansas City is known worldwide for its famous barbecue. But here at home, we may not even know who the correct founder of barbecue is. As Diane Houston and I discuss in our latest podcast, the founder of KC Barbecue isn't who you think it is. It's amazing that maybe the most important figure in the history of Kansas City Barbecue is somebody that nobody's ever heard of. And and I don't say that in like a negative way, but it's just true. Nobody's ever heard of Henry Perry, Diane. Who the heck is Henry Perry? He's the barbecue king. I mean, that's who he was. Uh, love the story of Henry Perry and how he essentially uh, is the founder of Kansas City Barbecue and has serious roots in some of the barbecue we love today. We might not be able to have Henry Perry barbecue because he's long gone. The legacy continues though through things that we taste a lot here in Kansas City. So who's more famous, Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago or Henry Perry, the barbecue king of Kansas City? I'm going Henry Perry. Because, you are. Oh, I absolutely. Okay. Even though the most important person maybe in our city's history is unknown, you're still going with him? I am going to tell you this, I and we'll touch base on this, but there is a petition active to, there's people that want to name the new airport after Henry Perry. They're out there. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, A a friend of mine that I I got to know through Paseo is kind of a a spearheader of that one. I'm like, let's go for a street. We should have a street name for Henry Perry, and I'm no joke on that. Right. I really do believe this guy really encapsulates how Kansas City got its uh, on the roadmap of barbecue history and I and na- nationwide honestly and and mm. you can see that through his roots and and it tells a story of uh, black history in Kansas City it tells a story of black history in our country because Henry Perry is born about 1875 I did a lot of research on this guy and he's pretty elusive the name Henry Perry and then you're born in 1875 you're an African-American to track is unfortunately very difficult. Um, So he kind of, and he's also kind of a drifter for many years. So it's really hard to get a handle on who he was. We only know from stories that he told to some 
black newspapers in town um, about his uh, early early childhood and background. But he comes supposedly from the Memphis, Tennessee area. So probably no surprise there, but I don't want Tennessee to claim us as barbecue. Don't even get me started. But Henry Perry is born in 1875, probably I'm assuming into a kind of a broken family of some sort. I do see records of a possible Henry Perry senior that might've been in and out of jail, but whatever. Um, he ends up, he tells the newspaper later on in his life that he ends up taking the steamboat and cruising the river scene working as a waiter. I have a little bit of an issue with this and I'll tell you why. Um, steamboats weren't real popular by the time he'd be cruising the river, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. The railroads were popular. So I'm not sure if there might have been a typo or if somebody just transcribed it wrong or if maybe he just thought that sounded more romantic. Who knows? But I find evidence that there was a waiter, um, a black waiter, um, injured in the middle of Kansas on the railroad in a large railroad accident, and it matches up time-wise. So I'm going to go likely railroad instead of steamboat, but he did say maybe steamboat. So he got to start doing, um, you know, say manual labor, essentially working as a waiter or a porter, which would have been the bar scene, um, in, ends up in Kansas City, which at this point would have been a hub for the railroads. So it wouldn't be too much of a surprise of him, to, him end up ending up here. Where he would have likely learned his barbecue traits would have been back in Tennessee. And the way it's described later in his life is that it was pit barbecue, which, which essentially would be digging in a pit, not like we would imagine today. And I think that's important to clarify. Can you imagine renting a house to somebody and then they take like a massive pit in the backyard and start, you know, smoking up some meat? I'd be a little suspicious. But, sure. I mean, especially the kind of meats he's smoking. We'll get there. Uh -huh. So this guy is just, he's, he's pretty, uh, pretty uh, standard in Kansas City. He's going to be working in the early 1900s. Why he ends up in Kansas City is really, you got to follow Black history, the Great Migration. So you have Jim Crow major in the South. He would have, uh, there's definitely was a blooming African-American community on the East side. So he ends up kind of moving to the East side. And by 1907-ish is where we see him supposedly, he's got a cart, which of course would just be like your hot dog stand in Chicago, right? He's got a cart and he's wheeling it down in the, in the garment district, basically, selling his smoked meats wrapped in newspaper out of this cart. And that's how Henry Perry gets his start. And that didn't mean to rhyme, but that's how he did get his start. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's crazy that he ends up, of course, getting a storefront. So he's, he's a single dude. So he's, he's renting a small room and he ends up renting a space where he can sell his barbecue um, essentially on 19th Street, right at 18th and Vine area. And it becomes, I mean, he, he no qualms about it. He put on the window, barbecue king. Well, he he nailed it right from the start. Like we, yes. he he was going all in at the beginning. And hey, there's something to be said for doing something, doing something great, claiming it, standing yeah. by it, and taking pride in it. And mm -hmm. that sounds like what what Henry Perry kind of did. I mean, it sounds like he he came to Kansas City, did something that nobody else did, and all of a sudden people were like, "Oh my gosh, this is some of the greatest stuff I've ever eaten in my entire life." And it yeah, and it also joined in and, and it's hard to know when, you know, by nineteen oh seven he's working as a porter in a saloon and then he's got his cart and then the next thing you know, by nineteen ten he's got an eatery, as they called it. And it's funny because the progression is nobody would have said barbecue back then, honestly. 
um, barbecue. Not that people didn't know what that was. It was just he opened a restaurant. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And it was very basic. And there's, I mean, there, no frills. The dude sawdust floors. He, you know, there was a sign in the restaurant that said, my business is to serve you, not entertain you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, you're here for my meat, get out. I mean, that was essentially what it was. And for well, what did 20- people think was going to happen? Like in a restaurant, in a restaurant back then, was there like a burlesque show that you thought you were entitled <laughs> to when you went and, and, and had dinner? Because I, I saw that about the sign, my job is to serve you, not to entertain you. And I'm thinking, what was the expectation in the early 1900s? When you went out to dinner, were you supposed to get dinner and a show? Was this like the, the new dinner theater? Oh, well, I I would say no, not necessarily, but, it, you know, waiters, I mean, to be have a sit down meal was a, essentially a pretty common and you've got the diner-esque type thing that comes in a little bit later. So it wouldn't have been, it was just, it was a walk up to the counter, order your food and then stand outside and eat it. I mean, it, there were very few tables inside. It was very, very simple. He didn't have a huge space either mm-hmm. when he started out. He did move eventually to a, an abandoned trolley barn. That's where he ends up at 19th and Highland area. Um, and he, he's so successful in, in what he's serving. And I think it's important to know, you know, kind of what's on the menu, right? Um, it, it, you've got your standard pork and, you know, beef and all of this, but you also have mutton. Um, he tried his hand at rabbit sausage. That actually sounds really good. I don't know if you've ever uh, had rabbit before. <laughs> I'm but- out. I'm oh, I, I think it actually sounds really good. The only thing on the menu that really didn't sound good to me was raccoon. Like, I'm looking at yeah, that. Raccoon, you know, you, yeah. you got mutton and you got nothing on his mutton, from what I understand. But the, <laughs> the the raccoon thing to me sounded a little bit like, okay, I'm willing to try a lot of different things. But I don't know that I'd be trying a raccoon that is smoked. Yeah, well, I guess maybe, I don't know what the prices were. I can tell you it was for a full rack of ribs, it was 25 cents. That's nothing. That's nothing. nothing. I, I mean, I could, I would put that down. Yeah. Like even back then, <laughs> even back then, how are you making any money off of that stuff? Because you got to think 25 cents back then. I mean, that's not a lot in any day and age, but for a rack of ribs for 25 cents, give me 10. I know. Well, it, you got to also Kansas city has an advantage because of where we're located. We have the stockyards. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, he probably had a connection to someone down there where he's getting a special deal. Maybe that's why he was running, you know, mutton specials. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's curious that he very much is, you know, a no frills guy. He, he starts out, you know, you know, why do you call yourself the barbecue King? And he said, I love this. This is a quote from an article. This is very one of the very few things we you know, know came out of his mouth. It's the special way I prepare my meats. Cooking only over a fire made from hickory and oak woods, the meat gets that delicious flavor, which is the cause of the tremendously popular var- variety of barbecued meats. So, and when he means by this, and I think this is a clarification, and I love to cook, and I know, Bob, we've talked about barbecue a lot. We both love barbecue in Kansas City, is that the way he cooks his meat is very, very different than the way that even other people cook their, you know, meats at the time. Mm -hmm. And he started to have some copycats. But what he would do is he put them over the open coals and let the juices fall on to the the actual, uh, the wood that he was smoking over. So he didn't have anything to trap it, you know, which we see a lot these days. That was very, very specific to Henry Perry's way of doing barbecue. And it carries on in barbecue that we have in Kansas City today. But he, 
he becomes so popular. And I think it's important to note, you know, African-Americans have a serious uh, uh, place in barbecue history. They did it first. And I, and I, I think when people go, and we have people, you know, of all races making barbecue now, my brother makes a mean rack of ribs. Uh, my mom makes an amazing brisket. But the way that barbecue really got its start in the first place is based back in slave slavery because of, you know, you give a certain amount of meats, they're going to cook them outside. And that was below the elitist whites, of course. And so whites were pretty much ignorant to barbecue. They liked it. They were ignorant to it. So even through after, you know, uh, the end of slavery after the Civil War, it took years, I mean, like almost a half a century to even have white people even dance around the idea of barbecue because they just kept going to the source of where they could get their barbecued meat. So they would hire out essentially to have somebody do a barbecue for them. And Henry Perry had that same type of reputation in Kansas City, which is very unique for the time, is that white people would drive to Henry Perry's location to get their barbecue. That's how popular he was. And of course, the roles couldn't be reversed though. You know, it's not like they could, you know, Henry Perry could walk into a, a white restaurant or anything like that, but it, it definitely was a sign of the times, but he certainly catered to his, his white customer base to the point he actually had multiple locations at one point. Unfortunately, we had the, you know, that great depression and stuff, but he had multiple locations. He was actually at one point on Westport road next to Kelly's. For very, yeah. very brief amount of time. Very you know, he, he needs to be really considered a success story back in the day because right. you mentioned the dude started out with a push cart on the street. And by the time it was all said mm -hmm. and done, what did he have? Three different locations around town where he was serving his barbecue. And in the early 1900s, 19 teens, whatever it was, I mean, that has to be considered one of the more successful people, not just in Kansas City, but maybe in the United States to have three restaurants going at the same time. Right. And it was very brief, but he would have, I mean, he, I, I say he, he was able to cross that line and people respected him. Um, very much a self-educated guy. He, you know, I don't think he had a lot of schooling. He could read and write, but, uh, and I hate to even mention that was a thing, but it kind of still was a thing at that point. Um, he was so, he was known to have a huge heart too, which mm. I think is, so he, he, he knew that even though he was catering, of course, to everyone in the community and people were like, trying to mail order barbecue. Can you imagine? I mean, how long did post take then? Well, and back then, yeah, but people do buttons. it now, you know? Ugh. Well, I know, but you can like try, you can like shrink wrap stuff. Right, and, yeah. I'm just a little worried about how that would have panned out. Yeah, like what do the ribs look like once they show up after like an 18-day journey from Kansas City to Chicago? You know, like are they, is, it, is it warm? Do they fall off the bone still? Is it even edible at that imagine. point? I'm pretty sure it's just not a good idea, which is why when somebody asked him for mail order in the late teens, he was like, I'm going to pass on that one. Um, but again, he, he had a big heart. And so he did actually get married briefly and have one child and then divorce and kind of lived on his own. So he, he, he did have a legacy there, but he was really known to be um, very generous to the African-American community that on 4th of July, he made a big point to advertise that he was gonna have a free barbecue dinner to everyone in the community. It was open to you know elderly children. Um, he prepared for 500 people mm -hmm. um, out of his little, his little restaurant um, and it served on the lawn near his restaurant at 19th and Vine. They, he fed him beef, pork, mutton sandwiches, hard pass, 
watermelon, lemonade, and soda. He spent $300 of his own money in 1920. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And what did he end up serve, like a thousand people or something that day? Well, he prepared for, he prepared for a thousand, I think 500 showed. I'm like, man, I would have been <laughs> lining up for that. Yeah. But I mean, essentially, I mean, pretty amazing that, and he did it multiple years. Um, he actually, his health wasn't the best. By 1931, he had a stroke and he was paralyzed on one side and he kept getting robbed. That was another problem. He ended up shooting a guy. He couldn't, because he was paralyzed on one side, he like couldn't push the rifle up quite enough. And the guy came in and he ended up shooting him and led like the leg. Um, the guy got life though. The, the guy dr- that tried to rob him because it was his second offense and they had changed the law. But uh, in any case, he, he really, his health wasn't that great. He was kind of a stout guy, probably <laughs> enjoyed quite a bit of his own barbecue. Sure. But what, you know, he is, I, I noticed the, not that long ago when I was driving around 18th and Vine, there's one photo of him. And, you know, you think that, that you know, his history isn't that well known. His photo is at the corner of 18th and Vine in a vacant building. Somebody put it up there. I don't know if it has words on it or whatever, but there are people that do acknowledge that history. But what is, I think what people don't realize is how connected, like we all want to know what Henry Perry's barbecue tasted like, but we kind of can get an idea because he was the, you know, the mentor to some pretty serious barbecue legends in Kansas City, which I think is amazing. Well, you know? and, and, and we'll get into that here in a moment. But yeah. my biggest question is, like, why why did we kind of just let him die? I know he only had the one child and all, but why isn't he celebrated more around Kansas City? Why isn't he the first name that everybody thinks of when he was truly the guy who brought our national cuisine to town? I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the, I, I wouldn't say in general, African-American history is not told well. Um, it is not maintained. Um, the reason we don't know about a lot of struggles when it comes to early, even successes and those stories is because they're not recorded. They don't want to talk about the struggles. They just want to look at the triumphs. Um, he died in 1940. Um, pretty young. I mean, really, I mean, I guess that's not that young, but I mean, 65 years old, but, um, by the time he dies, uh, Kansas city is in a completely different era at that point, you know, if you think about just the history of, of Kansas City in general, I think his legacy, or I think the reason that partially died off is because when his business was taken over, when he did pass, it, the name changed, you know, it, like, again, I, you know, if you think about how we remember things, oh, it used to be at this location or whatever. I mean, once it's something else, it's something else. Yeah. And people move on. And that's just unfortunate that we don't record things, especially in black history at this time period. Nobody took the time. There wasn't a white journalist back then taking down Henry Perry's story. You know, yeah. it just wasn't going to happen. People liked his barbecue when he was gone. He was gone. That he was, was gone and people moved yeah. on. But but he does still kind of live today because, as you mentioned, two of the most prominent, influential people in barbecue in Kansas City kind of got their start yeah. under him in, in Gates and Bryant's. Oh my God, absolutely. And, and he is mentioned, I will say this real quick. He is mentioned, there's a book, there's very few books on, um, actually there's only one on barbecue history in Kansas City. And it's called American Barbecue. It's a tabletop table book. It's not very long or anything. And, and Henry Perry is one of the first things that you see like as the barbecue king, because like I said, he was the barbecue king. Everybody knew it. But yes, so what happens is there is a legacy that continues. And the real, the start of that, I mean, 
is going to be Charlie Bryant. So Charlie Bryant is Arthur Bryant's older brother. And Charlie's born in 1892, I believe, in Texas and comes to Kansas City for whatever the reason. His brother Arthur is down in Texas. He actually got a college education and all of that and decides to eventually move up to Kansas City to, to live with his brother. He thought he might travel for a while. It didn't happen. But Charlie Bryant worked under Henry Perry at Henry Perry's shop and learned everything he knew from Henry Perry. So it wasn't like a, an isolated incident. This guy was trained by Henry Perry. And Henry Perry, when he died, his business was turned over to, sold to, if you will, uh, Charlie Bryant. And Charlie Bryant operated that location until 1946. So 1940-ish to 1946, we have Charlie Bryant operating Henry Perry's old barbecue joint. Same style, same everything. So people just kind of obviously gravitated toward them. Now, at this point, too, in history, when Henry Perry dies, there's a lot of people trying to steal Henry Perry's thunder. So there's a lot of people that say they worked for Henry Perry or like there's a Mrs. Jones who briefly like opened some business. <laughs> and it's just like, I learned from Mrs. Jones learned from Henry Perry too. And it's like, I see no evidence of this, mm -hmm. but there were a lot of people wanting to claim that legacy, which tells you how he was the king. He was the king. So Charlie Bryant does a great job and takes over the restaurant. No frills, keeps it exactly the same. His brother, Charlie, or excuse me, Arthur, comes up from Texas and decides to stay and learns the barbecue business from his, his brother. Mm -hmm. And when he decides in 1946 to sell it to Arthur Bryant, and then, of course, it becomes known as Arthur Bryant's at that point, this 1946. His brother dies in the 1950s, so he's still kind of around. But still, like, he learns. So, essentially, Ch Charlie Bryant learned from Henry Perry and Charlie Bryant taught his brother, Arthur, how to make the barbecue. And there is a little bit more information about this because, of course, we know that Henry Perry is a, is a legacy city's history. We just, we know that. Mm -hmm. And what is interesting about Henry Perry and Arthur Bryant, or I should say Charlie Bryant, is that they were kind of known also. We got to talk about sauce. Sauce is kind we'll, of important. We'll, we'll get into sauce in a second, but I kind of like where you're going with this, how, you know, these two guys came up from Texas and, and you know, worked for him, and then Henry Perry dies, and they changed the name, yeah. and now here we have Arthur Bryant's, which is one of the more well-known yeah. barbecue places in the well, world. And they maintained the same charm, and I use that term loosely, the charm of Henry Perry's style of barbecue by that no frills, the newspaper, wrapped mm -hmm. in newspaper, which now they still do that, but just not newspaper. Um, that same order from the counter, the same, we're not going to really talk to you. We're just going to get your food and sit down, right? Right. Um, they even tried for a while, uh, Charlie and Arthur tried for a while to just take tables out of the restaurant. So people just started eating, like standing up. They were like, hey, that didn't work. <laughs> like, get out. Yeah. <laughs> we need to make room for our customers. And to be clear, Charlie Bryant and Arthur Bryant and Arthur Bryant's and the way that he was he was conducting his business, he was still going by that same model of of the of the open grill. Of course, now we're inside, but an open grill, letting that meat drip down the way the old Henry Perry way to the point that even Arthur claims that and, and mentions this when he's interviewed by the Kansas City Star and other people. And so he keeps that same same style. The difference is, and I have to mention the sauce here, because he said everything was great except for the sauce. The sauce was bad. Like, 
he said that that Henry Perry and his brother added way too much pepper to the point where like you people were like coughing, like spitting their food out. It was so so spicy. Uh-huh. And so he's like, I gotta tame down on that. So the sauce changed a little bit, but he maintained the same way that of course he had learned from his brother who had learned from Henry Perry and in the same location for quite a while before they moved to their current location. But that whole no frills, that whole idea of we're here to serve the best barbecue, all of that same mentality came from Henry Perry. It was never going to be, which is probably how he kept his prices down too, if you think about it. Sure. If we're not doing a remodel, we're going to keep it simple. I mean, still, Barrientes, you go in there, it's not like, you know, I mean, it is what it is, right? right. You're just there yeah. for the barbecue. Who cares what it looks like? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's part of the ambiance. Right. Um, you know, but but he he stayed... Henry Henry Perry's customer base, and then of course Charlie Bryant into Arthur Bryant, certainly would have stayed consistent where people from all over town were coming in. But that whole legacy or what we consider like Arthur Bryant's and celebrities and all of that did not occur until way after Charlie Bryant was gone, way after Henry Perry was gone. Um, and that had to do with a journalist who happened to work for a very well-known uh national newspaper who really had a fond heart for some Arthur Bryant's barbecue and put him on the map nationwide. Yeah. And that happened much later, but the, but that whole idea of the no frills barbecue, certainly if you know, that ambiance comes from the old school Henry Perry way. So not, not only Bryant though, but Gates got involved as well with with Henry Perry. How did that go down? Well, and Henry Perry, so he must, he must've just, like to get the extra help who knows right um but there was a guy who you'd know him if you saw him if you go to gates barbecue um his name is arthur pinkard and arthur pinkard has a southern background but again not a surprise we're not going to say they all learned the barbecue trade you know wherever it has to do with of course the great migration but his his arthur pinkard is very elusive barbecue history he's born in 1880 in alabama and comes to the city area works for his job and what's interesting is the gates family later said he was never married he actually was married <laughs> twice <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy's yeah. never married no, he had two wives i was like i was looking at records i'm like mm, yeah i'm gonna have to say that the gates family got this one wrong but here's the thing is by the time they knew him he was a widow but uh-huh. he i mean he he literally was married to he was married twice um and poor poor ladies forgetting forgotten in history but um, so Arthur Pinkard, he gets his, um, he, he, you know, works kind of the same background as Henry Perry, you know, started working in restaurants and stuff like that. And it's just kind of a laborer, but um, essentially his, uh, his, he ends up being a cook in Kansas City by 1917, 1918 at the Owl Cafe. I'm like, oh, I don't think that's a barbecue joint, but whatever. He was flipping burgers or whatever there and ends up essentially getting his start because he he was trained under Henry Perry in the old Henry Perry way. And so when um, Arzelia and her husband, Ollie, decided to open Gates Old Kentuck, which is what it was called, um, when they decided to open that restaurant, essentially they hired Arthur Pinker. They didn't know any, they didn't know how to do the barbecue stuff that much. Uh-huh. So they hired Arthur Pinker to essentially run the pit, if you will. And he got to start there. So he's hired by George and Arzelia Gates in 1946. So about the same time that Arthur Bryant takes over Charlie Bryant, this 
business gets its start. So you can, that tells you alone how popular barbecue is becoming. And so they are going to make sure that he's going to make it that part of the, the Gates family said, we wanted the old Henry Perry way that, I mean, that was what they wanted and that's what they got. So one of the, you know, one of the ways that, uh, when you, there's one picture that is known of, um, of Arthur Pinkard. And if you go into Gates and it's in every single lobby, when you walk in, and it's the guy, you're going to know it, the black and white photo, and he's got the, the cook's uniform on and the big hat, and he kind of looks stunned, look, like, like kind of mad that his photo got taken. Yeah. That's Arthur Pinkard. That's Arthur Pinkard, and Arthur Pinkard got his start at, at Henry Perry's place and then ended up getting hired by the Gates family. The Gates family continues the same tradition of letting it drip onto the, I mean, like, it's all the old Henry Perry way, which yeah. is crazy. I love okay, it. so without Henry Perry, what are we known for in Kansas City? If he never comes here, does does barbecue ever get its start? Yes, I think it would. Um, and there's other people that would claim, like, you know, there were some um, people that sold barbecue out of their houses, maybe prior to Henry Perry, but an actual, inter- like, an enterprise of a business of starting a restaurant is a whole different thing. Um, yes, I think barbecue would have still landed here. Would it have been the Henry Perry way? No, of course not. Because that I means th- there's certain things that really are distinctive that are Kansas City. I uh, just saw, uh, I was just looking, Jason Kander was on Twitter. And I like to, to I love when he's, people try to pick fights with him. Um, and Jason Kander was on Twitter and somebody said, um, you know, I, Kansas City's barbecue is not nearly as good as Memphis barbecue. And he retweeted it and said, I'm going to send you to my people. I saw that. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. The one thing you can't do here, make fun of the Royals, the Chiefs, and barbecue, kind of our three franchises in Kansas City. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, it it, it goes to show you that we still, at this point in our history, we're still having those fights. Like, who had it first? Who makes it the best? We would have had barbecue. Would it have more of an influence? Can we talk St. Louis barbecue for a second? Why? I know, right? I mean... What is happening over there? And and to be closer to Tennessee, I mean, I'm not really sure, you know, in that, that graduation. And, and, and I know Kansas City certainly relies on its sauces. We like mm-hmm. the sauce. We like the sauce here. Um, but it's really, I think, when you, when you talk about Kansas City would have had barbecue on the map. But I don't think it would have been the same flavors, the same the way it's made, the, the low and slow, probably for sure, but this whole open cold, the way that these guys made it in the pit, um, eventually graduating into indoor cooking. I'm, thank God. <laughs> There's so many variables outside. Way too many variables. Mutton, yeah. rabbit sausage, I don't know. But, you know, I think that we we would still have barbecue of some, you know, some regard. But would it have been... The, the old Henry Perry way without the barbecue king? That's an absolute no. He's our king. It's pretty amazing that Henry Perry isn't more well-known today than he was when he founded barbecue here in Kansas City. But people are trying to put him on the map. There's even a petition right now to name the new airport terminal after Henry Perry, the founder of Kansas City Barbecue. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.